Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise that you have given us in your word, in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask through the Holy Spirit that we are renewed, transformed, and encouraged by your word this morning. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you a t-shirt that's illegal in 51 countries. And the reasons it's illegal is because it has a cross on it. And it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation unto all who believe. It's illegal in 51, or depending on how you count now, even 53 countries throughout the world. Persecution of Christians is very real. There's an organization called Open Doors. It's a ministry focused on global persecution and aid of Christians. And each year they release a report on the top 50 countries throughout the world with Christian persecution. The top 10 countries listed by score, a perfect score of persecution, by the way, is 100 North Korea is at 94, then Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Sudan, Eritrea. I pointed that one out because I'm going to refer to it again in the message later on. Yemen, Iran, and one that most people might not think of is India. These are the top 10 countries of Christian persecution within the world. And according to their report, which came out in January of this year, persecution has increased 30 million to now 245 millions, or one in nine Christians throughout the world are under severe persecution. And when I talk persecution, I really do mean it. I mean beating, imprisonment, slave labor, among other things, including death. While you and I enjoy much freedom here in this country... It is not so for many of our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus throughout the world. Hence, we are going to talk about Smyrna today, the Church of Smyrna. It is next in our series on the churches. As we go through here, as we go and look at each of the seven churches throughout, we have this pattern that we follow. We find the image of Christ. Who is Christ Jesus? We also see what he sees. Now I talked about the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I've mentioned that before. In this particular case in Smyrna, and there's going to be one other church, there's no bad that he finds. In this case with Smyrna, he finds what is good and encourages them because they are under, they are under tribulation. And then there is a promise to the church. So this is the pattern, this is the sequence that we will follow. So let's start with Smyrna and the image of Jesus. We go to our reading from today. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and last who died and came to life. So we find this image of Jesus, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament as well. If you take a look from our reading from Isaiah today, it says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. And then this reference to God, to Yahweh, 
is found multiple times just in the book of Revelation alone. In chapter 1, it says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Then our reading from today and then at the very end of Revelation chapter 22, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So what I want you to notice, something that's obvious, but we seem to skip over, is that how God is spoken of in the Old Testament is how Jesus is spoken of in the New Testament. Yahweh, Jesus, one and the same. And that he is the beginning and the end, the first and the last, speaks to his eternal nature. He was and is and is to come. Jesus is eternal. And in the Old Testament, it speaks about God as Redeemer. But now we find a greater sense of Jesus as the Redeemer because it says the one who died and came back to life. So even here, Jesus is announcing who he is, his nature, and that he is a redeemer that not even the grave can hold him. He is alive forevermore. Now, this has much greater meaning for the city of Smyrna and for all of us, especially for our brothers and sisters under persecution. So as I did with with Ephesus, and I'm going to do with Smyrna, I'm going to give you a little bit of context about the city in which that church was located. So Smyrna is about 35 miles north of Ephesus. It's one of the port cities. And as you approach the harbor, and this is an artist rendition, it was a magnificent view coming into the harbor, and you could see on the Mount of Pegasus all of these buildings on top, which look like a crown. So it was the crown of Smyrna. Smyrna vied with Ephesus as one of the most beautiful cities in the Roman Empire. It, uh, it was called the Ornament of Asia, the Crown of Asia, sometimes the Flower of Asia. It was also the first city in the world to erect a temple to the goddess Roma, Rome, Roma. Whereas Ephesus, we talked about, had the seven wonders of the world, Diana, Smyrna had a temple dedicated to the goddess Roma. This also tied in very closely with the political relationship with Rome. In addition to that, they were the very first city to erect an a temple in honor of the Caesar Tiberius. They actually vied with 11, under, uh, 11 other cities, and they were able to erect the first temple to Caesar worship. Under the emperor uh, Domitian, emperor worship became compulsory, compulsory for every Roman citizen on the threat of death. And once a year, a citizen had to burn incense on the altar of the godhead of Caesar, after which he was issued a certificate. So what you have here, and by the way, this is the best picture I could find because all of the ancient temples in Smyrna are destroyed by now. This is what's left. But Smyrna became 
one of the preeminent Roman cities. As a matter of fact, Rome gave Smyrna the title, the city that died yet lives. Isn't that interesting? The city that died that yet lives. And when you take a look at the city of Smyrna and its history, it died several, several times throughout history. Right now in the province of Smyrna, which is now Asmir, Turkey, there's about over 4 million people in that area. One other interesting thing about Smyrna is that uh, Smyrna means myrrh. It's a gum resin from a tree. You get sweet perfume from it. But do you also remember what was Jesus given on his birth? Myrrh. And what was he wrapped with on his death? Myrrh. So it is not only a a perfume or an incense. It is associated with both the life, the birth, the death, and hence also than the resurrection of Christ Jesus. So when he talks to the city and he says, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna, write these, write the words of the first and last who died and came to life. It has much more nuance and impact than we might give it credit. What, is he, what he's saying up front here is this. All of the tribulations you will ever encounter have been overcome by Jesus. He does this just with his introduction. All of the tribulations, and you should take great comfort in this, all of the tribulations that you will ever encounter in your life have already been overcome by Christ Jesus, the one who, is, who has died but now is alive forevermore. So let's go to what Jesus sees. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. By the way, I mentioned last week that when he says, I know, it's not just a casual I know. He intimately knows each of these churches, just as he intimately knows each one of our lives. So there are three words I want to cover here, tribulation, poverty, and rich. When it says tribulation, the Greek word actually means under great pressure, a crushing pressure, or we would say oppression. And we're talking true oppression or persecution here. And true pressure, oppression, persecution does lead to poverty, doesn't it? It leads where you have nothing left. And this word poverty doesn't mean that they just were poor. The word actually has the sense of abject poverty. One who has nothing left. One who is a beggar for all things. So he says, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. But then he says, and this is what he sees, which is good in the church. He says, but you are rich. So what does he mean when he says you are rich? It certainly can't mean material wealth. certainly can't mean money, can it? It must mean, in this realm, spiritually rich. That they are spiritually rich. 
This is what Paul is trying to, to convey to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. It is that spiritual richness that Christ gives to each one of us. Now look, this doesn't mean that we should invite persecution or abject poverty to gain spiritual riches. But what is he's commending them? That they are faithful to him and to his word. And because they are faithful to him and his word, no matter what, they are spiritually rich. The words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, come into great effect here. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Do you recall me talking last week? If you were here, I talked about an American pastor who went to China and he was teaching 22 Christian leaders, lay leaders within the church, and they had to take a 13-hour bus ride, and they were there from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And they had to go up, by the way, two by two to this hotel room. They couldn't go in a group lest they arouse suspicion. So towards the end of the week, uh, this American pastor said, how can I pray for you? And one of the Chinese students, the leader there, he said, your church can gather in this freedom all the time. Would you pray that we are like your church? And this American pastor said, no, I'm not going to pray for that. I'm not going to pray for you to be like our church. He said, you took a 13-hour bus ride here. If it's longer than an hour away, people won't come. You sat on a hard wooden floor all this time with no air conditioning. If people sit for more than 40 minutes without air conditioning, they won't come at all. In America, he said, there are two Bibles for every person, but we don't read them. You don't even have enough Bibles, and when you're in prison, you get the Bible's confiscated, and you get scraps of paper with Scripture on it, and you read it and memorize it before it's taken away. He said, I'm not going to pray that you become like our church. I'm going to pray that our church becomes like you. You see, it is this. Churches under persecution are almost always spiritually rich because they know the cost. And churches that have the most are often spiritually poor because they have forgotten the cost. We should all pray that we become more like the church in China. Jesus says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Slander. It means a false spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation. 
In other, other words, for slander are defame, slur, and smear. If you need any examples, just listen to any of the political news going on today, and you will hear plenty of examples of slander. But I want to go deeper than that, because other translations actually use the term blasphemy, and I think that's actually a better term for it. And the blasphemy of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Satan. Blasphemy, in the Greek understanding here, means vilification, especially against God. And it is a vilification that goes into the realm of being evil. And what it says here is that the Jews hated, vilified, blasphemed the Christians. And thus they were a synagogue of Satan. And let me give you the degree of hatred that the Jews and others had for Christians. And we're going to do that by taking a look at Polycarp. Polycarp was an early church father. He was also a martyr. He was born in 69 AD, and we know that he was martyred on February 23rd, 155 AD. He was a student, a disciple of the Apostle John, so he sat at his feet and learned directly from him. Along the way, he became the bishop of Smyrna, and he led that church faithfully for many years. And ultimately, on February 23rd, 155 AD, he was burned at the stake. Why was he killed? He was killed for his refusal to deny the name of Jesus. He was given the choice of cursing Jesus and living or confessing Christ as Lord and Savior and dying. He said to this to the proconsul, which is the Roman leader. He said, 86 years have I served Christ and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Now, the proconsul threatened him with wild beasts. Polycarp said, call them. The proconsul said that he would burn, be burned by fire. And this is what Polycarp said. You threaten me with fire, which burns for a season, and after a little while is quenched. But you are ignorant of the fire of the future judgment and eternal punishment, which is reserved for the ungodly. But why do you delay? Come do what you will. And so the proconsul sentenced him to die at the stake, and he was burned alive. Now here's what the records also indicate. The Jews were foremost in gathering all the wood to burn him alive. And not only did they gather all the wood to burn him alive, they did so on the Sabbath, which broke God's law. They were willing to blaspheme God to blaspheme the Christians. The Jews in Smyrna were unwilling to recognize, to say Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is Lord and Savior, and they cursed him. And thus Jesus no longer called these people Jews, that is spiritual sons of Abraham, but they are called the synagogue or assembly of Satan. And the lesson we drive in this is knowing the truth about Jesus 
and intentionally denying him and his followers is blasphemy. This is not just now against the Jews. This is against all who know the truth of Jesus, who blaspheme or deny his, him and his followers. This is blasphemy against Christ. And is this not blasphemy then from Satan? This is directly from Satan. Now, if you were at the stake, if you had to have that choice and the proconsul said to you, wild beasts burning by fire, would you not tremble? Would you not be afraid? I know I would. I know I would. I'm not afraid of being dead, but how I die would make me very afraid. So this is what Jesus says to Smyrna, the church in persecution. He says, do not fear. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. The first part brings us great comfort, right? Do not fear. The Lord in his loving kindness reminds us we have nothing to fear when we put our faith, our trust in him alone. That's why I included the reading from Isaiah this morning. You should really read that several times this week. It says, thus says the Lord who made you and formed you in the womb. The Lord knew you in the womb, formed you in the womb, who will help you. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. You have to remember the Israelites at this time were in Babylonian captivity. It was a bleak, dark, dark time for the nation of Israel. And he says, do not fear. And we also take great comfort because the Lord fulfills his promise. He is the one who can do it. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. And there is no God beside me. Do not tremble and do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced it to you and declared it? And you are my witness. Is there any beside me or any other rock? I know of none. This is Jesus, God, our rock, our redeemer, our Lord, our savior, who says to each one of us, do not be afraid. But then he says something else too, doesn't he? Do not, be af- do not fear what you are about to suffer. Look, out of all the promises that I find that Jesus gives in the New Testament, I do not find one that says you will make a lot of money if you follow Christ, that you will be well-liked and have a lot of friends because of Jesus, that you will always be in good health, that you will never suffer anything. I don't find any of those promises at all. As a matter of fact, when I take a look at the New Testament, here's what I find. I find a promise that you will suffer if you truly follow Jesus. From our gospel reading, but beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. 
and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake. Wasn't that not filled in the church of Smyrna? It's being fulfilled today. It's being fulfilled this very hour. And what we have to know that behind all of this is not just men and women. This is the devil at work. Paul, when he wrote his letter to the Ephesians, it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. What is going on in the world is satanic. It is evil. And Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison. Now, does that mean the devil himself is going to be there? You know, we have the old pitchfork thing. I don't think that's it. I think these are men and women under the influence of evil who do these things. He says, behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Now, when it says that you will be tested 10 days, do we take that literally, symbolically? I don't think this is a literal 10 days. 10, as you know, numbers in Revelation and throughout Scripture are symbolic. 10 is a complete number, so it is a specific time of tribulation in which they will be tested and then it will be done. But we are to actually go through that testing. Peter wrote this to the church that was dispersed, 1 Peter chapter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When we go through that suffering, that persecution, we are to actually rejoice knowing his glory is revealed. And now we get to the promise, the promise that he gives to the church. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Be faithful unto death. Do you remember, if you were here last week, we talked about how uh, the relationship between Jesus and the church is one of marriage? Well, here we also have another, maybe oblique reference to marriage. For what are the marriage vows? To have, to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. So this is a solemn vow that husband and wife make to each other. Jesus says, be faithful unto death. And remember the church that he's talking to and the situation they're in? This had great, great meaning. You and I don't relate to this very well here in America, but I guarantee you throughout the world, it has great, great meaning. Remember, I had mentioned that one particular country, Eritrea. There's a fellow named Eal, not his real name, but it's 
a name used so for his own protection. Uh, I'm going to quote a little bit from an interview he gave. He said, after I got engaged, I was arrested. Then while I was in prison, I was praying, fasting, putting myself in front of God. I wrote a letter to my fiance saying, don't wait, don't wait me, don't wait for me to go out of the country. I have a calling, a great calling. I will serve Jesus Christ in Eritrea till death. So are you willing to be on my side and to serve God in Eritrea, even though things are upside down? Her answer was, I am ready. I will be on your side, whatever and wherever you go. I will be with you. He went on in the interview to say that he actually has a bright future. He sees a bright future for the church in Eritrea in spite of the persecution. He says, for the next generation, what we are doing is we prepare them for suffering. We are receiving Jesus Christ for eternity at the same time for suffering also. That's what we teach them. We ask them, we ask them, do you believe Jesus Christ as your God? When they say, yes, I receive him. We say, but there is also a suffering. You may be killed. You may find yourself in prison. We teach this way and they say, I am ready. I want to be a witness for Jesus Christ. I will accept Jesus Christ until the end of my life. That's what they teach. What a far cry that is for many, many churches. We have much to learn from the church in Smyrna. We have much to learn from the church in Eritrea. We have much to learn of Christ Jesus. He says this, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Remember when I said Smyrna and the crown of Smyrna? Now, Jesus says, be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. He is the one who has died and now is alive forevermore. He has the promise of eternal life for you, for the church. A crown of everlasting life. And when it says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death, the first death is our physical death. The second death is that judgment. And if you read Revelation, you find the second death is a severe judgment against all of those who reject Jesus, all of those unrepentant sinners, they will be thrown into a lake of fire. There's a second death that comes. But he says, for you, for you that have faith in me, you have a crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. So for you this morning, will you trust Jesus, fully trust Jesus, knowing that he has overcome any tribulation you will ever face? Will you remain faithful 
and live according to the teachings of Jesus, even though your neighbors, the city, the culture, the world will slander and resent you. Even if other churches slander and resent you. Will you remain faithful to Jesus even in the face of suffering and persecution unto death? We have much to learn from the city, and I pray that we become rich in spirit like our brothers and sisters around the world. And to that, all the people said, Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com. Dot com.